Hey folks, thanks for joining me on this episode of Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and any other tangent that I happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, you're sure to waste a few minutes listening to what I have to say, and I hope you find it interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. I can be found on any platform podcasting platform that exists and if you can't find me on a platform send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com and i'll get that taken care of i also generally live stream the recording of these episodes on youtube on wednesday nights around 9 30 p.m central standard time barring this week where i recorded the entire episode with absolutely no audio and had to come back and do it on thursday night uh, at 9 30 central standard time you can find all of my links on instagram at embellishpod or twitter with the same handle i have a website www.embellishpod.com and that is also a place to pick up these links episode details and even some one-off tasting notes today is december the 9th 2021 one and we're talking about maker's mark dna series the wood finishing series and innovation within uh, legacy brands like that before before we get to that well i'm stuttering through everything uh, doing this a second night you would think it would be slightly easier apparently it's not going to be slightly easier but um we'll do a little pre-show conversation like i've been doing uh last couple of weeks just kind of see how that goes um Repeal Day Expo. Repeal Day Expo was the most recent thing that I did. It was last weekend. had an opportunity to um, hang out and watch some really good expos. Uh, Matt Porter from ADHD Whiskey, uh, Jack from Hood Sommelier, both had great events. Um, saw a host of other people speaking, you know, some, some really neat stuff. Um, I did spring for the VIP package, you know, I picked up my, my pricing. And what was handy about that is I was able to pick up a Glencairn, which I'm actually... Uh, drinking a little bit of whiskey out of tonight, uh, a, a branded Glencairn. Also picked up some swag, some uh, um, seagrass, a sample from Barrel that they did for a tasting that they had. I actually already had the bottle on hand, a seagrass bottle. Picked one up after the Kentucky Bourbon Festival. And so I actually tasted out of that one while they were running through it. And I'll hold on to this one as something to pass on to someone else who happens to enjoy um trying new things so that was a plus and then also got uh, four different samples of some rum some uh, i think it was chairman's estate rum maybe um so you know the the additional cost for the vip ticket paid off with the Glencairn alone pick up a couple of extra samples and a couple extra events uh, super fun super fantastic it was a great event um it was virtual again this year they use a thing called deggy world uh, I work in the software industry, and I was relatively impressed with uh, what they've done there, what they have kind of as a virtual expo um, center. The only the only thing, I guess maybe the, the couple of drawbacks to it for me were um, it's really difficult to attend a virtual event like that from home um, because at the end of the day, it's hard for a family to understand that you're doing something you know that would normally take you away for a weekend. Um, you know, something's going to pop up. You're going to have some reason why you have to get up and go do something else. Whereas being focused on these things. And so that, that's sort of a, a hindrance for it for me, but that's, you know, like a personal life choice. Uh, and then technologically challenge folks have issues with stuff like this. Um, they, they have a really good support team with the Deggy world folks. Um, there's always somebody there waiting when you sign in to kind of help you get through the initial turn on your microphone, turn on your headphones, make sure you can move forward, move backward, show you where some of the navigation, um, buttons and whatnot are. Um, and it's a wonderful option 
for events that are going to happen in December, which are already tricky for, you know, everyone who has children or holidays or whatever, you know, it's repeal day is always going to be so close to Thanksgiving. Um, you know, having a virtual option is great, but you know, it comes with its own, you know, sh- short drawbacks. And then, like I said, the, for, for whatever reason, uh, within whiskey tube, it seems that a lot of, uh, a lot of your patrons in whiskey tube have a hard time with technology. Um, it's, it, it's a different kind of thing. Um, last week, if you tuned in or if you've watched on the recast, I was able to stream uh, from a remote location. Had to spend some time in North Carolina last week for work um, and picked up a few things to try to do some remote uh, broadcasting on this because I know at least once a month for the next six or seven months I will be gone. Um, different locations, Louisiana, uh, California, Texas, and so forth. And, you know, I, I can try to record things at a time and have something in the can so that way there is uh, some degree of content going out. Or I can um, take it with me, go on the road with it. Um, but what I learned is that in quarantine times, you know, before quarantine, uh, I was traveling relatively regularly for my job. Uh, and I knew how to pack. I knew how to pack to travel, and I have apparently completely forgotten that. I left the house with uh, probably 60 pounds worth of stuff and probably only needed about 25 pounds of it, and so I'm going to have to kind of rework my traveling concept. Uh, What's really nice about traveling is being able to go out and uh, experience things that you can't find locally. While I was in North Carolina, I was able to pick up some some whiskey from a local distillery there uh, in the town that I was in. Um, It's, I believe... uh, Fainting Goat Distillery, maybe. Um, they're based out of Greensboro. They do um, Fishers. I had to turn around and look at the bottles. Fishers, I picked up a rye and I picked up an American Single Malt. I'm holding on to that one for a specific reason. Uh, I have, have some things to, to look forward to there. Um, but, man, it, it was it was rough trying to get back. And luckily I had somebody um, that was driving back from North Carolina able to mule those bottles back for me. But i got to reassess my, my, my packing because it didn't go very well. Um, while I was gone, uh, went to North Carolina. They have ABC stores, and if you've ever been, or ABC, sorry, it's a, it's a state-controlled liquor store, and we talked about that a little bit, what those mean and why they exist, and some states prefer those. You know, that's how they're going to run their business, but generically speaking, you know, state-controlled liquor stores sort of uh, suck. They don't have a great selection. Um, the you know the prices are always reasonable, but there's not a lot of a lot of quantity or a lot of unique things that are there. They did have a really good selection of local stuff, which I guess is to be expected. But I don't even think that I remember seeing a bottle of Maker's Mark anywhere on the shelf, and that should be available. So you know, sort of everywhere. And then while I was gone, one of the evenings we had dinner at a local winery, and I haven't drank wine wine probably in a year and a half. I've been mainly drinking whiskeys and ryes sort of experiencing that and man wine really kind of comes off thin it comes off super thin now after um having drank almost nothing but whiskey for for a year at least for the duration of quarantine um i did pick up an american single malt i'm super excited about that one i'm holding on to it like i said earlier um it's december and the ttb should be making a decision on american single malt whiskeys um on maybe some standards of identity uh, when that hits we're gonna have an episode about that we got a few bottles that i want to try um some things that i think that are you know interesting about american single malt whiskey um hold on just a second
apparently it's the time of the night where the septuagenarian dog decides he wants to walk through so um we'll have an episode on american single malt whiskeys talk about those some more we've talked about them before with a couple of different brands but i got some bottles over here i want to talk about some distilleries that i think are interesting and the fact that we're going to get some degree of um let's put this user in a timeout i'm getting uh some uh getting some spam here so i had to put somebody in a in a timeout there which hey you know they're bumping up i guess my my concurrent viewers but they're also spamming the crap out of um the the chat here with things that don't necessarily need to be here um was this a online strips without clothing uh trying to throw a link in there i'm not really sure what the hope is um, but hey, you know, thanks for showing up. Maybe you'll be interested in what you're watching while you sit in timeout for the next 300 seconds and then pop back up. We'll do it again. Um, a little bit of news. Uh, Old Forster uh, is doing a sweepstakes to buy on their President's Choice 2021. Um, something I'm super excited to see. You know, I, I watched the news and events of the um, birthday bourbon debacle sort of unfold. Um, you have people camping out three or four days in advance. Um, you know, the, the folks at Old Forester are doing what they can to try to like make those people comfortable and feel good about it. But at the end of the day, it's a public health hazard, people sleeping on the side of the street. Uh, it's a nightmare for them to deal with. And then for the whiskey community largely, you know, a lot of those people that are sleeping on a street corner are hoping to be able to flip a bottle that they may pick up for $120 for five or six or thousand dollars, whatever it happens to come out to um, that particular year. So maybe going to a sweepstakes at this situation, it'll at least open it up to those of us that have, you know, jobs that don't allow us to go and sleep on a corner for, for three days. Um, you know, the secondary market's not going anywhere. Somebody's going to resell the bottle, but uh, maybe it's opening it up to folks that that will have an opportunity to go up there and pick one up. And then it's, you know, it's the holiday season. One of the things that, that is frustrating to me, I had a, a friend of mine was looking for an advent calendar something to um something to to taste you know something for them to purchase he, he he wanted something kind of interesting and man whiskey advent calendars out there are are one of two things the interesting ones are super expensive and i understand why because you know you're having to try to pour 24 different whiskeys you have one ounce bottles you got to put labels on them you got to ship it you got to you know take care of it and so um you know to do a set you're you know looking at a thousand dollars worth of investment um to be able to put out 24 kits and so it's going to be expensive it is what it is um but whenever he was looking for it i was like you know what hey man if you'll cover the cost of bottles i have 24 and you know most of us uh, within uh, whiskey tube or whiskey geeks you're going to have 24 bottles so it's a good opportunity for you to craft something for a friend um, who, who's interested in trying new stuff so i encourage you to do that you know whether it's this year or next year uh, build your own advent calendars to to give to friends or um, you know we're past the time with that because we're on the ninth and so you know you're only going to be able to do a select few days maybe build a 12 days of christmas whiskey um, sample you know the the one ounce sample bottles are relatively inexpensive 25 bucks and you've got what it takes to be able to um pour an ounce of you know 24 different things for somebody um and it's it's a fun experience for them 
He's tasting his way through them, and he largely most of the stuff that he's got uh, that I've given him, he's never had before. And so gives him an opportunity to try a lot of different things. And then the last thing that I have, uh, Micro, if you've ever watched Dirty Jobs, uh, you know, my, my family, we've watched it a number of times. I really enjoy what Micro does, but he's putting out a whiskey, and he's putting out a whiskey with a good cause. And um, I'm working on a, a concept for an episode um, in the near future that is going to be about models with a cause or brands that are doing something sort of good with their, their money and their profitability, um, you know, kind of a good cause. And, and Maker's Mark is one of those. You know, they have their community batch stuff with the Lee Initiative, and we won't talk about that now because I'm going to save that for later on, but i got a handful of those. But, you know, uh, Mike Rowe, he's, he's contracting, I believe, with a Tennessee distillery, so we can likely expect it's going to be Dickel Whiskey. Um, but I don't necessarily have a problem with that. You know, it, it'll probably still be good, but uh, let's let's see what it's about before everybody starts poo-pooing it. You know, the Sweetens Cove is Dickel Whiskey, and everybody sort of panned that largely, but I've started to see more and more um, less high-profile channels start to come out and, you know, indicate that they actually sort of like Sweetens Cove and what they're doing because at the end of the day, it is Dickel, it's aged, it's it's whatever. Um, there's a story involving it. So uh, if you get an opportunity, go out there and buy it. I think it's Nopal. Um, just search Micro Whiskey. I'm sure you'll come up with it. Um, and you know, it, it, it's got a really interesting story and a good, problem, good, good um, premise behind it. Tonight, we're drinking our Repeal Day Expo um, jar, or sorry, Glencairn. And I'm trying uh, 291 Whiskey's um, Bad Guy Whiskey, which is a super interesting thing. It's really sort of perplexing me and confusing me. So I'm going to continue to drink through this. Probably won't, we're not going to talk about it tonight, but we'll come back to this at some point in time. So we'll get on with the content of this episode. I think I've successfully wasted eh, about 20 minutes talking about nothing and dealing with a dog walking around and uh, people spamming the chat here. So... We're going to talk about Maker's Mark and, and innovation. Um, Maker's Mark has had historically staked its claim in being a brand that portrayed itself as a premium brand, but didn't carry necessarily a premium price, uh, especially in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s before the whiskey boom started taking, up, started taking off. I mean, they had a high degree of notoriety. Uh, something that I sort of found really interesting is that, you know, with their Whiskey Drop, which is, uh, you know, their subscription service that you can get sort of unique bottles, um, they send out these little cards here that have QR codes on the back of them. And there's something that's on this QR code that is kind of indicative of, of traditional Maker's Mark branding is that you can see the shape of a bottle with wax on it. And that is exactly what they've been working on branding for a very long time, creating a premium brand experience with a less than premium price. Um, and they only made one thing. They only made one type of whiskey, and they did that for a very long time. But as the Samuels, fam Samuels family ages and they get closer to retirement or doing something different, um, people want to uh, sort of um, create their own thing. Um, you know, makers, uh, traditional makers have been around for a while and they did have some different expressions that existed out in the marketplace. I think you've got the 95 proof that exists out in Japan with the black wax. 101 was in duty free stores all over the United States. And then you have some of the bespoke bottles where the contents of it aren't largely any different. 
Um, the ambassador bottles, you know, they're batched slightly different, maybe smaller batches. Uh, nobody really knows if those are just, you know, uh, maybe somebody knows. I don't really know if those are just um, traditional maker's bottles with a unique label slapped on them, but it's, it's a fun experience. Um, but they've, they, they started to innovate. They started to innovate with their makers 46. Um, it was an opportunity to take their standard distillate, age it as they normally do in their rick houses, five to seven years. They rotate their barrels around to try to get uniform aging so that your, your lots of barrels are all largely the same. And I would assume it makes blending and continuity of flavor significantly simpler because everything is sort of aging along the same path. Um, but they started taking that distillate uh, after it had been aged for a while and dumping in um, some staves to create a new flavor profile. And that was sort of their first steps into what we might call innovation or making some some changes uh, some innovation is based off of you know market differentiation and some is based off of logistical decision making um, the the makers 46 was a differentiation strategy it was a um, we can do other things normally than what we do and then you, you hit around 2000 to early 2013 they start making some logistical logistical decision making that is going to be their you know quote unquote innovation um, they announced uh, in early 2013 that they were going to lower the proof from 90 to 84 proof. Um, and, the, and the thought was there is that, you know, we're starting on the upswing of what we would consider to be the bourbon boom. Um, you know, the bourbon boom upswing probably started in the mid-2000s, but it's really kind of catching traction in 2013. Um, so they're... they're trying to figure out you know, how do we take the supplies of what we're doing and make them last. But this undercurrent, I guess, that exists is that they're taking some of that traditional maker's whiskey and they're going to do additional things to it because, you know, at some point in time prior to that, because, we, you know, we see Maker's 46 coming around a handful of years later, but they're, you know, five to seven years aged. And so um, they're probably laying down some additional barrels and starting to age those as 46 barrels. And so they're decreasing the quantity that they have available while demand is increasing. They make this decision and that decision only lasted for like three or four days. Um, before they start to draw back, and a lot of people speculated that it was really just a marketing gimmick to get some attention on a storied brand. Um, you know, the the old saying is that there's no such thing as bad publicity, but I think that's maybe not entirely accurate, at least within the whiskey marketplace. You know, there is bad publicity that exists. So, um, you know, did they bottle any at the 84 proof? The best I can understand they have, and I would absolutely love to have a bottle because I would like to be able to compare it. I've had an opportunity to try the 95 proof. I've got, you know, cask, cask strength bottles. I've got some of the, um, wood finishing series, some private select bottles, the 101, you know, everything that I can get my hands on because I appreciate what Maker's Mark does. Uh, you can see over my shoulder here, there's a series of Maker's Mark bottles that are sitting on the shelf. They've got a lot of interesting things, and it's sort of the, the whiskey, at least growing up in Kentucky, it's the whiskey that, that I cut my teeth on. I didn't start with Jim Beam. I started with Maker's Mark because it was the the, the higher class one with a lower class price. Um so they, they reversed the idea on that, but then, you know, you get some years later, Maker's Mark 46 meets a degree of success, then they want Maker's 46 cask strength. 
um, and wood finishing series. So they start introducing different stave profiles. Start started working with the um, ISC and other barrel providers to create unique stave profiles to to be able to do this additional aging. Um, you know, they they ran Makers Forty Six for ten years, and then uh, I guess we're looking at um, two thousand. 1617 is when we start talking about wood finishing series or what some people will, will later call the license plate series and um, so they're doing the the roasted french mocha staves and and, and all of these different things um, this is this is where their innovation is and so they're doing all these things without changing the actual actual distillate and really changing how they as a standard age the whiskey for the first round, right? They're aging it through their five to seven. They're rotating it through the warehouses, and then they're doing a an additional step after the fact. They're 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 doing some other aging to it, um, and then they also recognize the need to create something um, that they're calling a um, limestone cellar. Uh, I know that uh, I went and picked up my bottle. I, I, you know, signed up for the ambassador program, picked up my bottles in two thousand fourteen. And at that time, I was like, you know, this experience is super interesting. I'm going to sign my dad up. We'll come back. You know, I'll buy him some bottles. We'll do the tour and, and, and all this. And in the time between 2014 and when we went this last spring in 2021, they've created this limestone cellar. And, and the idea is to keep a more standard climate in there for aging so you don't have as drastic of temperature swings or humidity swings. Um, because it is living in a cellar type environment to do some of these wood finishing series um, projects, you know, a place for the Makers 46 to rest and grow and, and do its thing. And so they're, they're starting to experiment with those things. That's 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 a neat thing. Um, they're adding additional flavors. And then, then you get to the FAE 01 and 02 where they're not necessarily focusing as much on flavor at that point because a lot of the flavors, you know, it's, it's a wheated whiskey at the end of the day. And a lot of the flavors are staying relatively standard with each other. But they're starting to focus on mouthfeel and what that is, the fatty acid esters and how it coats the mouth and how it interacts with the mouth and all of these different things. Which are, you know, like kind of brings us up to today. Um, you know, the the whiskey drop that they offer, they started offering it about a year ago, and it's in Kentucky and D.C. It's an opportunity to be on a subscription, and every quarter you get two bottles of, you know, things that you may or may not be able to find locally. And, you know, I live in a rural area in western Kentucky, and a lot of times we don't see... Um, some of the wood finishing series or some of the private selections in smaller towns. And so, you know, if I'm traveling in Bardstown, I'll see them. If I'm traveling in Nashville or Lexington or Louisville, these are things that you'll see. But uh, in my day-to-day life, they, they don't exist. And it, it's sort of odd. Um, I did get my whiskey drop with these first two DNA bottles and happened to stop in the liquor store this week and talk to one of the guys there. And lo and behold, they've got the four um, whiskey DNA bottle sitting on the shelf. He said, but that's the only ones he'll get. You know, the, the state of Kentucky requires that you can't have a distillery only release. So they've got to release a few bottles to, you know, select um, liquor stores. So it's not a distillery only release, but the, there's no, nece- there's not necessarily how much that they actually have to release. And when you get this far west in the state, we don't see a whole lot of them. So what is the DNA project? Um, Maker's Mark has started the DNA project starting with the int- an entry-proof experiment. Uh, and what the idea is to do an experiment to see how barrel entry-proof impacts the flavor of, uh, of, bourbon, of bourbon and maybe how it ages and how it interacts with time. Um, 
And so what they did um, is they took back in um, 2013, they took, so, you know, if we start drawing a correlation, they're saying, hey, there's a whiskey shortage. We've got to decrease to 84 proof, but they're also starting these um, pretty severe experiments around these additional, you know, kind of aged concepts. But Maker's Mark traditionally enters into the barrel at 110 proof. And 110 proof has been where they've been at for a very long time. But if we roll back to the, I think, earlier mid-80s, um, TTB allowed for whiskey, for bourbon to start going into the barrel at 125 proof. And a lot of distillers will do that because you want more whiskey going into the barrel so you have more whiskey coming out of it. Um, if you go in at 110 proof, um, you're effectively paying taxes on aging water over time because you have more water in the barrel than if you had done it at 120 proof or 125 proof for that matter. Um, so the idea is to get more whiskey in the barrel, but makers tends to believe with their wheated um, mash bill, which is, you know, non-disclosed, it's guessed it, I think, um, they believe that 110 proof is the right way to go, and it's been that way for a very long time. But this experiment is effectively testing out, is that true? Is that the correct thing to do? Um, DNA has a series of other experiments from what I've read that will come along, but the first one is around this. So eight years ago, um, they take four different batches. I guess maybe not four different batches, but four different ideas. And they say, we're going we're gonna to put out a bottle at 110 proof, one at 115, one at 120, and one at 125, and sort of see how they compete with each other. Now, you might say, hey, you know, why would you do 110? Because that's exactly what Maker's Mark is doing already. Um, but you got to have a control group. In any experiment, you have a control group. And so they did things slightly differently with these DNA bottles than they do with a traditional Maker's Mark bottle. Uh, none of these were... Uh, rotated through the warehouses but um, from from what I can find they went out and they would gather um, groups of 25 barrel lots and they would say we're going to take 25 barrels um, we're going to put in 25 barrels in the warehouse at 110 proof 20 at 120 115 125 um, and so you have four different lots of 25 per day and they did this until they had enough to put out what they wanted to and so from what i believe i saw in my bottle um, is with this particular batch there were a hundred uh, barrels total so that would have been i guess four days of production uh, going in and what they came out of the warehouse is 60 barrels and so then your question is okay they went in with 100 and they came out with the equivalent of 60 did 40 barrels did you lose 40 barrels worth of whiskey were there you know some barrels that were unacceptably bad um, you know what happened to create that loss and it, it could be that the proof decreased or you know that um, some of them were just downright bad or leakage or loss or whatever um, but part of me has this other suspicion and we'll talk about it a little bit later on but um, they, they, they pulled them all around the same time they ran them all eight years they did not rotate them through the warehouses as I said earlier and they kept them all in the same general vicinity within their barrel aging warehouse. Um, it's all sort of like a big geeky whiskey experiment that they um, put in there. And I guess, you know, part of me wonders why did they land at eight years being the appropriate time frame as opposed to five to seven, which is what they've done in the past. And I, I can only assume it has to do with the fact that they're not rotated. So we're not getting uniform aging. 
Um, but you know, it, it's at eight years old, it's slightly older, older than what's out there. And, you know, I've always read and heard people talk about, you know, if Maker's Mark would put out a 10 or a 12 or a 15 year weeded product, it would absolutely be competing with the likes of, um, Pappy, Pappy products and some of the other, um, Buffalo Trace products that are put out the, the Wellers and the whatnots, um, for, you know, some of the best weeded whiskey that's out there. And so that kind of leads into my other suspicion is that as I read more about the DNA experiments, there may be some experiments going around yeast strains and maturation. And considering that this experiment is being led pretty heavily by their master of maturation, um, and I can't remember her name off the top of my head, um, Jane Bowie. Here it is. Yeah, it's on this these these information cards that come with it. Jane Bowie, the master of maturation, is sort of leading this, and. Um, there, there's a statement in that they're talking about maturation. So are we going to get some four-year-old Maker's Mark barrels and are we going to get some 15-year-old Maker's Mark barrels? Is it possible that some of these, they were in this 110, 115, 120, 125 proof of that um, 40 barrels of, you know, quote-unquote loss, are they going to become the um, advanced age barrels? Are they going to run an experiment and say, hey, you know, if we do want to do a 15-year maker's barrel, it needs to go in at 115 proof or 120 proof uh, instead of the traditional 110. Um, you know, they, they've got some opportunity to experiment. And so while they're doing, you know, a consumer-facing experiment and they're making them available through the whiskey drop, through the distillery, um, through a, a series of different things, um, they're also gathering really valuable data it's entirely possible that what they come out the other side of understanding is that the 110 proof absolutely is the correct proof to go in. And so you spend a lot of money and you create a lot of an effort to prove yourself right. Um, but sometimes that's what you have to do. That's sometimes what that's exactly what the American consumer needs is they need um, to be proven that the, that what the brand is saying is actually true. And so they're making these available to you. You can, you know, pick these up, you can try them and you can say, yeah, 110 is where it is. Now I did sit down um, last night and I ran through the 90 proof, the 101, a cask shrink, the 46. Gosh, I'm yawning. Sorry. A 110 and 115 on the DNA. And what I found was something that um, was also noted by uh, some other folks is that the 115 proof is by far the loser in a side-by-side -side tasting for me. Now, it wasn't blind, so you know, take that for what it is. But from what what I read, they found that the 110 proof had significantly higher tannins, sugars, and lignans. And so you're going to have more vanilla, more caramel, more sweetness, more um, and, and more oak flavor than what you would with 115 proof at the same age. Um, but what I also saw is that the 115 proof, if you compare all four, it was without a doubt the loser of all four and having large quantities of that and so it was you know one might assume it's slightly flatter um hold on i have to uh put a put this user in timeout again um uh there we go sorry about that um the, it was somewhat surprising to me that it they they pick up far less flavoring and, and positive benefit 
uh, with their time in the barrel as as opposed to the 110 proof. Um, now the 120, 125, I won't see those until the next whiskey drop, which will probably be in February. So I won't be able to do a true um, four bottle series of a taste to see, you know, is, is this true? Is this appropriate? Like which one is my favorite? Um, I, I did listen to a, a podcast. I believe it was, um, this is my bourbon podcast with Perry and Eric, uh, where they did the 125 proof, I think, and they were really high on it. And I do have a lot of expectations around that bottle. But we'll see what, you know, we'll kind of see what comes of it. Um, but you have to, I have to personally appreciate innovation in a storied brand that doesn't have to do that. They can continue to sell copious quantities of whiskey based off of their brand reputation of being a quality product that is available everywhere you're ever going to go. If you're going to go drink whiskey somewhere, you're going to come across Maker's Mark and it's going to be available to you. And so they've got high availability, high brand recognition, and no real need to innovate uh, because they're going to continue to sell, but they're doing it, and they're going to potentially bring us some new offerings, and and this is this is exciting for me. Like I think about what they're doing, and I think about what um, Jim Beam slash I guess James B Beam Distilling Company, um, as they seem to be in the process of a rebrand, um, launching more tourist centric distillery experiences, um, subscription services, unique offerings for for flavors. Um, restaurants, all of these different things that they're doing that are focusing on the consumer. You know, it, it, it's in a whiskey boom, it's not necessary. They, they could still sell a ton of whiskey without that. Um, but, but they're doing it. And, and, and so, and I'll keep buying it because at the end of the day, I may not like 115 proof Maker's Mark and their DNA, their eight year DNA bottle. Um, but I am going to spend money to help fund the experiment. You know, because I, I want to see what's going to come next. I want to be able to make sure that they see a positive return on something because I want to see the next experiment. I want to see what they're going to do with yeast. I want to see what they're going to do with maturation. I want to see a 15-year Maker's Mark bottle come out, and it'll be astronomical. I can only assume it'll be a couple hundred dollars, but I, I'll, I'll seek it out, and I'll try to get a taste somewhere. So, um, you know, it, it kind of begs this final question of, is Maker's laying the foundation of proving that the single offering they had was the most consistently good version of the offering that they can make. And are they proving their own authority within the market or are they building a foundational set of data that is going to allow them to excel and grow beyond what they already know? Um, because they don't have to, they don't have to grow anymore. They don't have to try to gain any more market share, but they absolutely can. And it appears that's what they absolutely intend to do. Um, so I think that's all I've got for the maker's DNA bottles. Like I said, I, uh, you know, we'll taste them eventually. We'll, we'll talk through that portion of it, but, um, what they're doing with innovation is, is to me an interesting experience. So, um, thanks for joining me tonight or today, or whenever you happen to catch this. I hope you found this episode entertaining. And if you did, please leave me a review on whatever platform you have this where you're consuming this. Um, if not, leave a comment. Uh, likely, if you can't leave a review, you can leave a comment. Um, and hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using EmbellishPod. Give me a follow. You can keep up with what's going on here. Uh, I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details, whatever. 
Um, I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. Uh, I have lined up what I think I want to talk about. And then coming near the end of this month, my hope is to have uh, Cole and Robbie on from the Chill Filter podcast to taste through blindly um, some whiskey. And there's a little bit of a twist and a turn that's involved in this. Um, when I asked them to come on, they've, you know, they've, they've been gracious and had me on their podcast and, um, they're, they're great guys. And, um, I want them to come on and they're like, absolutely. Well, come on. And like, what whiskey are we going to drink? And I'm like, it's going to be blind, um, but it's really going to be blind. And there, there'll be a little bit of a twist here. Um, I think it'll be a fun experience, but, uh, uh, like I said, I'll be back again next week with something. And until then, 